0: The Apostle Paul makes a statement in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 that I want all of us this morning to grab hold of. Paul says this, he says, For I am confident of this very thing. In other words, there's no doubt in my mind that, that this is truth, this is a promise that, you know what, you can take to the bank, you can take it today, you can take it tomorrow, as, as long as, as, as you exist you can, you can be confident in this. He says, I am confident of this very thing that he, and he's speaking of God there, he that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying there is God will complete in you what he has begun. It's not up to you. Now, he is in partnership with you. But he's going to complete it. He's going to, to 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 make it mature. That's what the word perfect there. He's going to mature it in us. He's going to bring us to maturity. God never stops short. Do you all realize that? He never leaves things hanging. He never leaves un, uh, jobs unfinished. He, he never starts over. Now, that doesn't describe me. I, I am notorious for starting something. And going somewhere else, and then coming back and wondering why what I left is is there. Uh, you can just ask Kathy; she'll tell you. Uh, I, I I live with a list now to make sure I get everything done. God's not that way. God, once He starts something, He takes it to completion. He finishes it. Paul says it's a good work. It's good. Why? Because it flows out of his nature, it flows out of his character. God is good. Psalms uh, 136.1 says, Give thanks to God, the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness. That's the Old Testament word for grace. His loving kindness, his grace is everlasting. God completes what he has begun in you. And he completes it in you and me out of his goodness. And he completes it according to his will, which is good. Now last week we talked a little bit about the sovereignty of God. Uh, God is sovereign. Amen? He preserves us. He works in us. He works through everything that you encounter or I encounter, everything we experience, everything we embrace, whether we do it knowingly or unknowingly, whether it's good or bad or otherwise, until something happens until our divine purpose is perfected, until it's fulfilled. And then that divine purpose plays its critical part in accomplishing the very purpose of God, His will. God uses everything. He doesn't send everything, but He uses everything. He uses bad choices that we make. He turns them. All things work together for the good of those that love Him, and are called according to his purpose. He takes those things. He takes choices that we make that we never think once or, or twice about. He, he takes those choices. He takes the things that somebody else has done that we had no power over. He, he moves. He, he, he turns it. He changes it. And it's because he's sovereign. Now, God's will flows out of who he is, his, his character, his, his nature. And, and, and we've been talking about this, and, and I, I personally believe this that, that the, maybe the, the key characteristic of God is his goodness. It's out of everything else, it's his goodness. Love flows out of his goodness, mercy flows out of his goodness, justice flows out of his goodness. God is good. Yet many, many, many believers, if I were to ask you to raise your hands this morning, uh, some of you would be embarrassed and you probably wouldn't do it. But many believers struggle with knowing and understanding and doing God's will. I'll just put an amen there because that's true. We struggle with that. Too often, though, we blame things we don't understand or that we can't explain or we're too afraid to confront as the will of God. We, we We just... Lump it all together and call it the will of God. Sadly, the will of God has become kind of a catch all container that's used far many times to excuse our ignorance. And by ignorance, I don't mean stupidity, I mean we just don't know. That's what ignorance is. You remember when Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother? And he starts talking about, he says, You don't know about this. Or, 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 or you're not informed on this. So I'm not talking about stupidity here. I'm just talking about we don't know. Sometimes it's because of our ignorance that we we lump it into God's will. Sometimes it's our unbelief. Sometimes it's laziness. Here's what I'm finding as I get older and older. Some of the laziest people in the world are part of the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, but I'm just saying... Most people want to come and they... Most of y'all, well, some of y'all will know, Y'all know who Jabba the Hutt is? Star Wars. Jabba just grunts and expects people to feed him. And that's what many Christians do. They've never matured into feeding themselves. And so they come on Sunday morning and they expect someone to feed them. Someone to lead them along. And And the reason is not because... They can't understand Scripture. It's because they're lazy. Now, that's a freebie. I'm not charging for that. That wasn't even part of my sermon this morning, okay? But but it's true. Sometimes we're just lazy. And so instead of investigating something, we'll say, well, that's just the will of God. Because nobody's going to question you. No, nobody's going to say. How do you know that's the will of God, brother or sister? Well, it's, it's, they're just going to say that's the will of God. We're, we're afraid to go there. Sometimes it's because we have bad theology, so it, it excuses the will of God. Often excuses our our, our ignorance, it, it excuses our unbelief, our laziness, and, and our theology. And what happens is it it, it unwittingly it becomes a rug for us to lift up and sweep anything that goes bad in our life or happens to our family or happens to us under the rug, and we can drop it, and we joke, hey, it's just the will of God. Folks, everything that happens is not the will of God. Okay? It's not. There are some aspects. Now, listen to me. I want, you to, I want to make sure you hear me this morning. There are some aspects of the will of God that are mysterious. Amen? They are, and I, I don't deny that. The will of God is, after all, the plan and the purpose of an omniscient, an omnipotent, an eternal being who is outside time and space. Now, that he, he's bigger than you or I can even comprehend. And, and I want you to listen to me here. It's impossible for you or I to conceive of an idea of God that's greater than He really is. Now, I will say that again. It's impossible for us to conceive of God being greater than He really is. Because if we can do that, then He's not God we are. Now, that'll, that'll hit you in a little bit, okay? If I can make God bigger than He is, then I must be bigger than He is, and, and I'm not. So we can't conceive him to be better than he is. We can't conceive him to be good. I better not say good or uh, as good as he is. I, I know that's wrong. Okay, but it wanted to slip out there. Now listen, we God's either greater than we can comprehend or we can perceive or we can describe or we can imagine or or you know what? He's not God. He's not God. Now we may distort Him. We may dilute Him. We may misrepresent His goodness. But it's impossible for us to exaggerate His goodness. He's far better, listen to me, than you think. And God's goodness is worked out individually and it's worked out corporately in us through something we call and what the Bible calls His will. And it's important for us to understand what that means. Our problem is not the mysterious aspect of it. Although we like to say that's what our problem Our problem is we have very little appreciation. And we have very little understanding for, for the weight of what God has already revealed concerning His will. In other words, there are a lot of things we know that are the will of God. I don't even have to ask. I don't even have to pray about them. They're in black and white right here. Listen to what. This verse uh, has a lot of different applications. But in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the Holy Spirit says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay, if they're secret, they're His. Right? We can't know them, right? Okay. But the things revealed belong to us, and not just to us, but our sons, our children and their children, and their children, and their children forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. You and I don't have to, to fret and get anxious over the mysteries of God, okay? I don't have to lay awake at night and worry about what could have, should have, or, or might have been. What's God's mysterious will here? You know what I need to be? I don't even need to be anxious about this, but rather I need to be responsible for what He has already spoken, what He said, What He's revealed. And so today my goal, and and I hope uh, uh, God will make this very clear, is to help us understand what the New Testament really means when it refers or speaks to something as the will of God or God's will. The language that the New Testament was written in is, is called Koine Greek. It, it means common Greek. It was the Greek of the first century. It was not the Greek that the scholars spoke. It was the Greek that the regular men and women spoke in the streets. And it was the language of, of, of commerce. Although John and, and Paul and, and the apostles weren't Greeks, most of them spoke some Greek because it was the language that the world used to to, to buy and to sell. Uh, Alexander the Great had had taken the Greek culture. He had Hellenized, that's the word. He had Hellenized most of the known world. In other words, he had he had he had Greekified it. Okay? So everybody understood a little Greek. They understood uh, the language, and so it was a common language in most cultures. And and, and the, the, the common language that they spoke was, was 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 Koine. And most people spoke a little bit of it. And the Koine language is very precise and it's very particular in what it says. It has specific words that it uses to mean specific things. It's English is that way and it's not that way. Okay? When we talk about love in English, we use one word, right? Billy's, I think Billy mentioned this uh, earlier, I don't know if he mentioned it during worship, but I heard him say it this morning. I think it was when he was sharing devotion with the, the praise team. There, there's, there's one word in English for love. In Greek, there are several words. And each of those words means a specific type of love. That's true in a lot of things. And so the words that the Holy Spirit uses to communicate... Listen, they mean what he says and he says what he means. And he used Koine Greek because it means what it says and it says what it means. I just find it fascinating that, 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 that he didn't use Aramaic, although that's what they spoke in Palestine for the most part. He used Greek. And so he, he's very particular. And so he, he, we use different words to, to convey different meanings. But unlike English which may have one word with a lot of different meanings, Greek very often has particular words for particular situations. And you say, Nelson, what does that matter to us? We're not Greek scholars. Well, here's the deal. You don't have to know Greek in the day we live in to understand your Bible. There are tools you can use. There are dictionaries you can... The Strong's Concordance is one of the best tools you can use... To, to study words but what happens is sometimes we read words in scripture and we just assume they all mean the same thing when they use the same word when they're spelled the same way and, and that's not true sometimes words have different meanings and one of them that has a different meaning is the words that are used in the New Testament when it talks about the, wor- or the will of God each one of those meanings, there are two particular words, basic words in the New Testament, that refer to the will of God, and uh, whenever those words are used, it, it means a specific thing. They don't—they don't become the same word. In other words, no matter how we translate it, okay. And so, each of those meanings determine the direction we have to go in determining the meaning and attributing something to the will of God. And and understanding the difference between those two will help us make some sense out of this mysterious thing known as God's will. Some things God's going to make happen. Amen? We call that the will of God. Some things God wishes would happen. Guess what? Scripture calls that the will of God. What God is responsible for and what we're responsible for. Some of it God's only responsible for. Some of it's a partnership. And so we're going to look at those two words. And I'm not going to major a lot on the Greek words, but they are belema and "thalema." They're two different words. One starts with a, with a B. The other one starts with a T-H. All right? And I'm, just, I'm going to lay this out, and you're saying, oh, gosh, I didn't know we was going to have a Greek lesson this morning. Maybe this will help us understand A little bit of this mystery that has developed over the last 15, 16, 17 centuries in the world we live in. And maybe we'll stop blaming God for everything that happens and start taking responsibility for our part in this. And maybe we will see that God is really as good as Scripture says He is. Now, the word bulimia. It, oft, it, it refers to that which is established and what is the fixed will of God. In other words, this is the will of God. When that word is seen in a verse, this is the will of God, and this is going to, to happen regardless of who believes it or who opposes it. This is the will of God that, that nothing can change. It, this is the, a part of His eternal purpose and His plan. Now, let me give you an example. The return of Jesus Christ... Okay? That is the will of God. Now, we don't have to agree when. We don't even have to believe it's going to happen. But it's going to happen. We don't get a vote in it. It's the will of God. Jesus Christ is one day going to return. It's, go- it's a fixed event, and there's a fixed date out there when that will happen. And it doesn't matter whether you or I like it or believe it or agree with it. It's going to happen. It, 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 it's, it's, it's the will of God. We don't get a vote on it. it it's one of those things that's etched in stone and, and nothing and, and, and no one can resist it. We can't postpone it. We can't stop it. Now, I want to give you another example of this same word that's used in another verse. And I want you to understand how good God is because of this. Uh, In 2 Peter, verse 3, 9. I'm going to read the whole verse. It may just come up with part of it because that's what I gave Tom. But it says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And it it translates it, not wishing. It literally could be not willing. It's the word bulimah. Not willing for any to perish But for all to come to repentance. Now I want to ask you a question. Are people perishing? It's not a trick question. Are people perishing? Yes. Now listen to me. Paul could have used another Greek word there. He could have used the there. And that word uh, refers to God's desire or God's wishes for people. In other words, uh, I, I'm reading now the new New American Standard. That's how it translates it. God doesn't wish this, but if He had used that word, the emphasis there would have been on their repentance. He wishes they would repent. Okay, that's not what this verse says. This verse says He wishes that they did not perish. It was His will that man and woman not perish. In other words. Let's just look at that for a minute. Let's just think about that. What does that mean? It was never God's plan or a part of His sovereign will that death enter into what we live in. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing good about death. Nothing. No thing. You may say, well, I disagree with you. Well, you disagree all you want. It's separation from life. It's separation physically, emotionally, spiritually. Death is not a part of existence. Well, they may be a part of it, but they were never God's intention for it. Death is the result of sin and disobedience. Okay? It came into this world when our forefathers and our foremother, they sinned, they disobeyed God. That's, but we tell ourselves it's just part of life because it helps us get through tough moments, trying moments, terror filled moments. Listen, death's not natural. It's not. But we're afraid of death. Amen? you I'm not going to amen, but most of us are. Listen, I, I I got a phone call last night about midnight. And the phone call came with a visitor. That visitor sat on the end of my de- my bed. That, that visitor was fear. You all ever met him? He couldn't have been at your house last night. He was in my house. All right? In all his glory. And and I'm, I'm 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 struggling just like everybody else struggles. I'm going, okay, God, I know your word says this. I hear but but but, and I'm going okay God I, and, and all night long from midnight till when I got up this morning I tossed and turned I, I, I was wrestling okay I know what the word of God says Okay, I, I know that death is not natural it's not God I know it doesn't come from God I'm sitting over here a few minutes ago and the presence of God just kind of swooped into this place And all of a sudden, the victory came for me. Okay? I'd forgotten what I was preaching on today. You know, it's easy to gloss over some of these things. It's easy to say what people want to hear when you get to issues like this. But listen, it was never God's will for us to die. Okay? It was never God's will uh, for, for death to take us. In fact, God says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 26. He said, the last enemy. That's what it says, enemy. He doesn't say, my friend, death. He says, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now, there's a, there's a, 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 a correlating aspect to this that I want you to understand. God doesn't send people to hell. Now, I grew up with hell, fire, and brimstone preaching, okay? I came into the kingdom on the end of a hell, fire, and brimstone sermon, alright? I really met Jesus. But I heard hell, fire, and brimstone. There's nothing wrong with hell, fire, and brimstone. Jesus preached about hell. He preached about heaven and hell as much as He preached about heaven. But here's the, the, here is a, a a mutation, a, a a a wrong way of thinking. God does not send people to hell. You say, Nelson, how do you know that? Because hell was not created for people. Nelson, how, how do you know that? Well, that's what Matthew twenty-five, verse forty-one says. Jesus said that hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen, God has not chosen some for heaven and some for hell. That's just, I know that theology, all right? I understand what they're saying, but he hasn't chose some and not chose others. That's not his will. This verse says it's his will that none should perish. His his will was that that no human being would ever have to, to live any place else than with him to exist with him. God's not chosen some for heaven and some for hell. But you know what? It will happen based on the choices that people make. If a person ignores Jesus, they will make the choice to go to hell. Say, I don't like that. Well, that's the way it is. That choice, that, that act of that will, will come in opposition to the revealed will of God. I've heard people say that, you know what? You can't stand against the will of God. Well, God's will was that nobody perish, but that all should be saved. But guess what? People are, are, are plunging off the cliff of hell every day. Listen, next time somebody asks you, if your God is so good, then why does he send people to hell? then you need to straighten your back up and not do this, I can't answer that question. You need to straighten your back up. You need to look them dead in the eye and you need to tell them, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People make that choice. People make that choice. Don't shy away. Don't pull back. Put the responsibility back on the person who's making that judgment. And perhaps God will bring conviction in their life. Now, that's the the word Bilema that talks about the fixed will of God. There's another word. And that other Greek word is Thelema. And it's completely different. It refers to God's desires and God's wishes. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is a very familiar verse. It says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, renew your mind so that you can can prove, so that you can live out the desires, and the wishes of God. In, the, in this mind, the renewed mind is able to feel and to reveal the desires and the wishes of God. When we think and we see from God's perspective, we become enabled to see His heart. And we be, we're able then to manifest His intentions. Listen, this is an awesome passage, but God's desire may or may not be fulfilled in us. We may or may not... Look at the world the way God looks at it. Now I'm not trying to, to, to parse words, and, but you know what? You and I have to choose to do that. We have to choose to renew our mind. We have to choose to partner with Him. We have to choose to, to walk through that process of growth and development. And when we do that, then it forces us to take responsibility and to work with Him. It doesn't happen automatically. And I'm just going to tell you, based on my experience, there are a ton of believers whose minds have never been completely renewed yet. They're still struggling with the same thing they were struggling with when they came to Jesus. I'm not questioning their salvation. I'm just saying they haven't stepped into that process. They haven't taken responsibility. Yet Jesus chooses to partner with us. God chooses to partner with us so that we can accomplish His will, so that we can accomplish His wishes, His desires. And we do that through continual obedience. It's not automatic. Or Jesus would not have said this. And this is one of those verses that you've heard me quote time after time. But in John 14, 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If the wish and the desire of God, what we call this aspect of the will of God, were automatic, then this would just happen, right? But it doesn't. We have to, we have to partner with Him. We have to walk it out. So when it comes to the, the bulimah, the, the will of God, the wish of God, the desire of God, you and I, uh, are, we don't get a say-so. But when it, when it comes to this, this dilemma idea, we partner with God. With the, with the Bolema use, God alone determines how and when it happens. And I'm going to tell you something. Even though we don't have a part in this aspect of it, God is still good. And there are a lot of things that God would like to have happen and has made possible. But you know what? They will never be. Because we refuse to to partner with Him. We refuse to obey Him. We refuse to carry out uh, the, the, the obedient, obediently to what He's told us. And I know tons of people who are waiting on God to do what He's commanded, equipped, and empowered them to do. Well, God said He was going to do this. He made this promise to me. Do you, do you realize that many of the promises God make or made are conditional on us doing what we're supposed to do. There are some unconditional promises, but many of them are conditioned. And listen, there are, because of this, there are those who love to debate the will of God. Have you ever met anybody like that? If you hadn't, praise the Lord right now, because I'm telling you, they are discouraging. They'll hammer you with this stuff. They got all kinds of theories and they love to lift a verse here and a verse there and cobble it together to make a theology of fatalism. That regardless of what you, part you play, this is going to happen. But here's what happens. Very often they sit back and they do nothing for those around them that are hurting. Okay? They can explain why these things have happened. But they refused to step onto the battlefield. And they refused to change anything. They refused to proclaim uh, that, that, that God is able. Instead, they just proclaim, this is, this is just the will of God. Listen, they won't heal the sick. They won't feed the hungry. They won't clothe the poor. They won't take care of the widows, the orphans, or immigrants. They won't make a difference in the world that's headed for hell in a basket. Why? Because if I do, then I'm fighting against the will of God. Their theory is it happened. Therefore, it must be the will of God. And listen, that's nothing more than an excuse to do nothing. It's an, it's an excuse to live in faithlessness and, and unbelief. And listen, maybe you've heard these comments, because I have. Now, I don't think I, I live in some place that's different from you. But whenever a tragedy occurs... You'll hear them say this, well, it must have been the will of God, or it wouldn't happen. You've heard it. Let me get more specific. One of the most tragic things I have ever been a part of uh, as a pastor and as a person is when someone loses a child. Okay, I, I just they're just not I don't know how I don't know how you get over that except in Jesus. But I have heard this. Well, it just must have been the will of God or it wouldn't have happened. What a tragedy. God works in mysterious ways. We don't know why. It's just God's will. But we know God had a reason. You know what? Those kind of responses assume that if God wanted a different outcome, He could have done something. Either God's good or He's not. Okay? And what they do is they misrepresent the goodness of God's nature and His character. It neglects our responsibility as well to do the things Jesus did and the greater things that He promised. And what it does is it, it nullifies us being living examples and illustrations of what the believer is supposed to do to function as an example of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be little Christ. But you know what? I can just say it's the will of God and I don't have to be a little Christ. I don't have to step in a situation that terrifies me, that I'm not equipped to handle, that that, that I don't see any way or any outcome out of... it. It It, 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 it puts something up there. It's like a... It's like a life preserver. I just wrap the will of God around me and then I don't have to do anything. Listen, we are to flesh the life of Jesus out and to bring forth his wishes and his desires, the will of God all around us. We're not supposed to settle for things. Okay, and I'm, fi- I'm fixing to get into a place and you may think I'm nutty as a cucumber. I don't care, all right? But we're not supposed to settle for tornadoes and storms that destroy life and possessions. Okay? You say well, well if the wind start well go outside. Now, I'm not saying when it's on top of you. I'm saying when they forecast it just make a declaration. God, I just you've given us authority. Jesus had authority over the weather. We we see him deal with storms and situations. Lord, I believe you've you've given us the same authority that he he had. He gave us his authority. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I just speak to the winds and say, Be quiet. You're not gonna blow here. You say, Nelson, that sounds stupid. Well, I've been doing that for years. Okay? I may look stupid, I may sound stupid, but you know what? I'm gonna keep doing it. I still live in the same house. It's still there. I'm just going to do it. You know, there are other things. If you think that's just a little bit far-fetched, then you know what? We allow disease and sickness to rob us of our health and our finances and our days on earth. We don't do anything about it. We don't know whether to pray for it. We don't know if this is the will of God. Listen, it's the will of God. He didn't create sickness. There's no sickness in heaven. Therefore, it's not the will of God. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to... He doesn't tell us... He does in, in James, he says, pray for the sick. Jesus says heal the sick. So we're supposed to we're supposed to affect something by the way we believe. You say, well, Nelson, that's just a little too far still. Well, what about shootings in our in our schools and in the workplace and on our streets and in our neighborhoods? What, what about just the, 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 the gun violence that's going on that takes away the brightest and the best that might someday make a difference? You know, what, what are we doing? Well, we're huddling our house at night and locking the doors, putting up burglar bars. What if we started to pray in our neighborhood and we started to bind that garbage? Okay? We might see a change in that. But if... It's, it, Nelson, it's the will of God. I don't think that's the will of God. What about our nation? We just allow it to happen, it's the will of God. It's God's judgment on our nation. Listen, God judged sin in Jesus Christ. He has given you and I the responsibility to be salt and light. Salt preserves light Drives away the darkness. And if you and I are salt and light, there will be no darkness and there will be no need for preservation in our nation. Things will change when we get out of our little holy huddles and we get involved out there. When we start to, instead of hiding on on, on issues that are scary and that everybody, we're going to get crucified on Facebook and we're going to get crucified on Twitter and all the other social men until we step out there and begin to to say what Jesus says and make no excuses we don't do it in hatred, we don't do it in anger, we do it in love things don't change. Listen, it's time for us to stand up and represent the goodness of God it will change our culture Most of the things God gets blamed for are not his fault. It's our responsibility because we've not demonstrated and we've not done the things that Jesus mandated. Jesus brought heaven to earth. Y'all realize that? Wherever Jesus was, heaven poured in. You say, well, he's God. He's also a man. Okay? We forget that aspect. It's It's easier for us to forget that, but he's a man. And he's a man who's filled with the Spirit of God who's totally obedient to the Father. And so whatever he sees the Father do, he does. Whatever he hears the Father say, he does. Now, you and I can live like that. The same Holy Spirit lives within us. The same mind of Christ that Jesus had, Paul says we have. And so we can do these things. You and I are supposed to be conduits for the kingdom of heaven to come. We, we carry kingdom within us. We carry Jesus in us. Wherever we put our feet, where we're gathered. this well, This is an island of the kingdom. Because many, many, many people in this room are part of the kingdom. When we leave this place and we go individually to the places we go, we carry kingdom with us. We carry the same Holy Spirit with us that raised Jesus from the dead. So it's supposed to be, as Matthew 6.10 says, on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. Please don't hear that. But I'm saying it can be a lot different. A lot different. It can be a lot different in our homes. It can be a lot different in our schools. It can be a lot different in our culture. But it won't be if I just, well, that's just the will of God. It's not the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, just take a look at heaven. Listen, we will know it's God's will when we, when when where you and I are standing starts to look more like heaven than it looks like hell. Okay? I'm just, that's just reality. It starts... To take on the character and the beauty and the goodness of heaven when we begin to act in that way. Listen, don't accept the easy way out. Take responsibility for your faith. Start walking out your faith in boldness. When, when those hard questions come, don't dodge them. Don't dodge them. with it's It must just be God's will. Start demonstrating. Start proclaiming the goodness of God with your words and with your, with your actions and with your attitude. Show people your faith and, and your testimony. Show, the, show them that God is far better than you could, you could ever imagine. And listen, if you'll embrace the, the goodness of God's will, you will walk at a different level than the average bear does, Okay? You'll walk at a different level than the average Christian does. And you will make a difference in the lives of the people that you you are around every day. Psalms 34, verse 8. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see. Listen, if you don't taste it, you won't see it. Okay? Taste and see. He doesn't say see and taste. We want to see before we put it in our mouth. I've got a a friend that we go to Mexico with. and He's got a grandson, and he's trying to teach him that that many of the things he eats and many of the things that that he just experiences they don't come out of a grocery store. They actually come off a farm. And so he took his grandson up to the to the the uh, the, uh, the grape. I'm trying to think of what they call it. Well, it's a vineyard, but uh, it's a it's a trellis kind of deal. And he, he, him, he took him up there and he was just eating grapes right off the, right off the vine. And he goes, Pop, Pappy, what are you doing? He said, I'm eating grapes. He says, no you're not. Yes I am. He said, no you're not. He says, why do you say that? Because this is not where grapes come from. He says, how do you know? He said, because this is not you know, it's not Winn-Dixie. He said, son, grapes don't come from Winn-Dixie. They come off the vine. He says, try one. He goes, you're just fooling with me. I'm not eating that finally convinced him he tried it and he realized that that that, that this is where grace Jesus doesn't say see and taste he, the holy spirit says taste and see if you don't taste it You won't see it, and the people in your sphere of influence will not know that God is good. Your community won't know it. Your workplace won't know it. The people that live on your cul-de-sac won't know it. Taste and see. That's the will of God. He wants us to taste and see. He says, oh, taste and see. The Lord is good. How blessed is the man or the woman who takes refuge in him. Listen, we have blamed God for a lot of things God has no part in. And we've not taken responsibility for most of the things that we have responsibility for. I want to challenge you, okay? I want to challenge you. Don't let fear drive you into a place where oh, this must just be the will of God. Don't don't go to a funeral. And, and, and say something stupid, all right? It's better just not to say nothing. I've learned that as a pastor. Say, nothing. I've seen you and, and you, and you've got your arm around people, but you're not saying anything. That's because I've learned I don't have anything to say most of the time. My words very often are not going to do anything. I may have a verse that I can share with them. My arm around them is what's going to bless them. I've learned, too, that even a fool, when he, when he keeps his mouth shut, looks pretty smart. <laughs> and what we, we do our best to try to come up with something, and when we do that, we say something stupid. We blame God, in essence, because we're trying to excuse God. God doesn't need us to excuse Him. God just needs us to partner with Him. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.